0: Nice to see y'all. Christmas program is this next weekend. Oh my, oh my. Yes, we're excited. It's great. I know so, all of you are involved probably in some way or another. Thank you for the service that you do uh, toward that end. Um, I can tell you this every year, and we're going to spend some time the week following the Christmas program, which is Sunday the 18th, talking about all that God uh, has done. And he always does so much so much more than we ever anticipate, so much more than we ever expect. And so um, your part in that is deeply appreciated and deeply valued, so thank you so much for that. Look forward to it, keep inviting friends. You never know what God is up to, Uh, so don't miss an opportunity to uh, hand an invitation to somebody, Um, invite them uh, to what? What are you inviting them to? What do you say, right? It's a matter of prayer right? Probably for each person that you're inviting. But the bottom line is you're inviting them to an opportunity to experience something of God. And the person who needs God uh, and may not even be able to put their finger on that in a particular way will respond to that invitation. And as you know, maybe most of you know, some of you don't know, a Christmas program isn't simply a series of Christmas carols. It's a message. It's a presentation of the gospel, and that's what people need. So, uh, be bold, be brave, um, and uh, we'll see. We'll see you next week. Uh, if, uh, if I were to ask you about the experience of joy in your life, I, uh, what, what would that What would that come back to me like? What? How would you convey? Uh, the general sense of joy in your life? Would it be something that you would uh, be very quick to expound upon the different ways or would you would you struggle to understand exactly what that is? Would you tell me of the variety of experiences of joy or would you say that you, you, you don't know that you're that in touch with something like joy? I wonder. It's I suspect it would just be a whole variety of responses. Because even the definition of joy is difficult to pin down. We kind of we have a general idea that it's different than happiness, but it's kind of the same. We're not really sure if happy is the same as joy. We tend to know that there are similarities, but that it's different. Um, your, your prioritization of the experience of joy in your life is probably different from the person sitting next to you. I don't prioritize that very high, personally, that's probably wrong. I probably should prioritize the pursuit of joy, but I tend to be a little bit reticent of mountaintop experiences, which is the way I see it, because on the other side of every mountaintop experience is a valley. <laughs> I'd rather just live on the plane in the middle, no highs, no lows. That's just my own brokenness eking its way out, but I don't pursue it. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. We tilt toward it, a motive definition of joy. We tend to think joy is something that I'm going to feel and that it's going to, it's going to bubble out of me, but I, I don't know if that's particularly right or wrong. I can identify with an, an emotive element of joy, I think. I can, I can imagine and remember some experiences that I could probably comfortably say bring me joy, and they're emotive. Uh, I, I, I feel something very deep about uh, family experiences together. Um, I have, a, I have a, a, a great degree of happiness and joy uh, with the, the fact that... Um, my friend and co-worker, uh, Pastor Brian, is uh, finished with his sabbatical and he's rejoining the staff and adding his value. See that? Yeah, see? We all feel a little bit of joy about that. Uh, maybe you've uh, shown up in the last six months and you don't know Pastor Brian. Well, let me introduce you to uh, a new pastor in your life, Pastor Brian. Um, I'm excited about um, what the Franz Road facility uh, means for our future in the Northwest in reaching others for Christ and creating an intersection, a space where we can interact with uh, people of all kinds and all sorts for Jesus' sake. I, get, I, I can identify some joy on that front two summers ago, Tammy and I were in New York City. We, we take a New York City trip every now and again and watch the U.S. Open and take in a Broadway play. And we went to a play off-Broadway, took an Uber down there. And when we came out, it was not just raining. It was flooding, literally. That was I don't know if you remember that a few summers ago in New York City. We didn't know we were in the middle of that tragic situation. We just were in the middle of a summer rain and no capacity to get a taxi because everyone was using them because it was raining. So we ran three quarters of a mile together in the rain back to our hotel. It was joyful. We kept videos of ourselves taking our shoes off and pouring water out of our shoes. It was, it was so fun. I, I, can, I can say it was joyful. I can connect with that. But I also can relate to a a concept of joy that is not necessarily emotive. It's something that can be a wonderfully meaningful matter of fact. And there's there's not necessarily emotion involved with it, but it's something deep. I remember a particular particular, uh, worship service uh, a few weeks back, and a number of elements came together in a way that something very powerful, maybe even uniquely powerful, happened that Sunday morning. And I made my way to Pastor Tammy as soon as I could after the service, just to thank her and, and offer my gratitude and appreciation for the way she orchestrated the morning and planned it and it allowed space for the Spirit to move within it. And I said, uh, "Tammy, that was amazing morning." Just like that. And she looked at me like, "Are you joking?" are you serious? What are you saying? And she finally was able to verbalize. She goes, I hear what you're saying, but your countenance, it looks like somebody close to you has passed away or something. It's like, there's nothing there. And I was like, oh, no, I I am very serious. But it wasn't an emotive thing. There was no glitter. There were no fireworks. There was no countenance to come along with it. Again, maybe just my own brokenness, but there is something about joy that isn't necessarily strictly emotive, although I think that's part of it. It might be fair to say, if I asked you about joy and we talked about it, that we would have a whole variety of ways that we would define it, describe it, and experience it. But there is some common ground. There's something that at least I have found to be true among most of everybody that I've talked to about the concept. Over the years. Number one, there is a natural sensibility within us that says that joy is where conflict isn't. Like where there is conflict and where there is trouble and where there is trial, we very quickly disconnect and imagine that that is not where joy is going to be. So we do spend, if we're pursuing joy, we spend a lot of time, or happiness for that matter, trying to eliminate conflict or trouble or difficulty from our life because we think that is where joy is found. And then there's kind of a twisted play on that um, if, you're a, if you're a Christian uh, and, and you read somewhat superficially what's been written in the Bible rather than deeply, you, you might be you know, convinced into thinking that trouble and trials and suffering are a source of joy. Or, or that as a Christian, you're not a very good Christian if you don't find trouble and trial as a joyful thing. Can you relate to that at all? That pressure that when life is upside down, the Christian you know, reaction to that is supposed to be, well, this makes me joyful. I, neither one of those things is, is quite biblically right, but we share those. The joy is someplace where there is no conflict. So we feel I have, to, I have to clear away all the conflict to experience joy. Or to be a good Christian, I have to make happy joyfulness and uh, something that is, uh, commend- that, is, that is coordinated with trouble and trial, that it's part of it. They're roadblocks, actually, to what joy truly is, or and even the experience of joy. What we have to do to clear out those roadblocks and find our way to greater joy is we have to clear up an IT issue. Isn't, it seem like all of our problems come back to that, some information technology problem. The internet's too slow, the app is out of date, battery life is some substandard. Social media platforms being used against us. Internet marketers care nothing about our well-being. If we can, and this joy thing is related to an IT problem. And if we, if we could get, if we can solve that, we can probably get closer to joy. And I'm being ridiculous right now. We do, we do have an IT problem to solve, but it's, it's not IT as an in information technology. It's an it problem. It's the it, the it. We have to solve the it in James chapter 2. This is what James says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. All we need to do is figure out what that it is referring to, and we're on our way. Consider it pure joy, complete joy, all joy, everything that is joy, you can consider it to bring that along. What's the it? we can figure it out, we might be able to not only understand what biblical joy is, but even apprehend it. Sound good? So let's, let's diagnose this IT problem right here. Let me read the greater context. James chapter 2, verse 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing, not lacking anything. Now, we, we have talked ad nausea through the book of Romans and the book of Mark, and most recently, the book first, the letter from uh, Peter, first Peter, about trials and temptations and testing and suffering. And they are an unavoidable reality in this life. And that the Christian life isn't a way to avoid that reality. That's life, and it is part of the Christian life as part of the life that we live. We see it clearly in the life of Jesus. He does not avoid trouble and trial and testing. He's in it as much as he was in it as much as we are in it. In fact, the scripture says it's really the proving ground for our faith. There is great value we have discovered in trial and testing and perseverance. But they are not the end goal of the Christian life to have those things be a part of our life. It's the end, it's the means really to something else. Traveling through those spaces proves our faith, builds trust, helps us deepen the hope that we have in God. And the same can be true or considered to be true about joy here. We we kind of, we kind of abbreviate this verse and we say, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Like that's the sum that's the, total of the equation. That, that sort of mistaken idea that that is the joy, the trials and the trouble are the joy, but that's not what he's saying here. Trials aren't inherently joyful, amen? They're not inherently joyful. Testing of your faith is not in and of itself joyful. Now they're part of the process. James is laying that out. They are part of the process. They are part of life. They are part of what is related to joy. But our question today is, what is the it? Our question isn't what leads to joy. It's what is it? What is the joy? What is it that we should consider all joy? And here in the context Trials and testing lead to other good things, which in turn lead to the it. The it that we are to consider all joy. Here it is. So that you may be mature and complete, lacking, not lacking anything. That's what is the joy. Maturity, completion, lacking nothing. We are to consider it all joy, the progress of maturity, completion, maybe you would say contentedness, a sense that, get this, you are deeply okay with you, with what you have, and with your future. Can you can you imagine being okay with you? I can barely imagine that. With what you have I think it's safe to say I have everything that I need. But I'm constantly, maybe not constantly, but enough to irritate myself that I feel like I need something else. Can you imagine the joy associated with being okay with you, okay with what you have, and convinced of the okayness of your future? Think about that. Imagine what it would be like how your mind could rest, how your heart could be at ease. Imagine how you might feel if you didn't need that person's love and approval. That person whose love and approval you have never been able to earn, that that hole in your heart in your soul that cannot be filled can you imagine not having that hole not needing that love that approval that word it's hard to even imagine isn't it and i'm not saying imagine what it would be like to finally accept that that's true I'm not saying imagine what it would be like to to work around that and and learn the, the intellectually how that doesn't really matter. Imagine what it would be like if you didn't have that. You were complete, as it were, in that space. Imagine what it would feel like if you had supreme confidence that what it takes to accomplish the hard thing that lies ahead, that you have what it takes. I know, I know you've been here just like I have. There's that thing, that hard thing ahead and you look in the mirror and you think, I'm not sure I can do this. That may be the way it comes out in your prayers. I don't, God, I don't know if I can pull this off. I don't know if I'm strong enough. I don't know if I'm smart enough. I don't think I can do this. Imagine the joy that, you could, that, that would come if you actually fully thought to yourself, yeah, I can do this. I have what it takes. Without being arrogant and prideful and lying about it. Like some of us say those things, yeah, this is going to be a problem. And in the back of your head, it's like, this would be a big problem. Imagine if your deepest sense was... Uh, this is going to be fine. I'm okay. I'm enough. What I have is enough. I don't know if you... What would they, like you get difficult news about your pregnancy or lack of pregnancy or you get difficult if not tragic news about one of your children and you... Just, I can't... What if when those, when those kinds of things happened... I thought it's okay. Maybe your job has been shifted to something beyond your known skill set, or you lost that job and you know the narrow market of that sector. What if, when that sort of thing happens, it was like it's okay? a medical diagnosis. I can't what would it be be like? I'm okay. I have enough. The future is certain. If you didn't if you didn't need a relationship to feel whole. If you didn't feel a deep nagging sense that you have to be long to or part of that group. What if you didn't need to be recognized for anything that you did? You didn't you didn't need to be noticed. Imagine Are you with me here? Are you with me? What if there was no pull at all toward pornography because your sense of desirability was fine. You didn't you didn't need that. You didn't you didn't have to you didn't have that longing. What if What if what if what if You didn't make that team. You you don't have those muscles. You don't have that intellect. Those those things that plague us, what if it didn't matter? Because you were full. You were complete. You lacked nothing. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, that in Christ you are lacking nothing. Nothing. If we can get a hold on that, we can experience a joy like we never have before. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, that you are being finished, being made. I'm paraphrasing here. Being made mature and complete and lacking nothing. James is calling the disciples to a joy that is the trajectory of the believer's life. That our completion is certain in the future and it is underway right now. Do you have three circles, friends in the back, that you could show up here by any chance? Do you see anything in there that's three circles? Yeah? Oh, there. I should have uh, Pastor Adam come up and explain this because he's the one that showed it to me. Um, very quickly, very brief. This is worth a, a book, in fact. We are given the image of God. When you know, so Genesis says. He says. Look, we God's narrative is: we He creates mankind, you and me, woman and a man and woman, and He and He and He says, "Let's make them in our image." We have our image. If you're human, you have the image of God uh, impressed upon you, implanted within you. But that doesn't necessarily mean that your life is one that is growing into the likeness of God. For us, maybe more practically, the likeness of Jesus. But we have that opportunity in this lifetime to be made more and more complete, to be more and more like him, to move in that direction. But the other alternative, apart from that direction, is to become more and more, for lack of a better way to put it, like an animal. Humans are uniquely given the image of God and uniquely given the opportunity to move in the direction of completion and fullness. All through the Bible, you can see the metaphor, if not the actuality of people who have walked away from God and become more animal-like. Look at the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Look at even the prodigal son, where he ends up when he walks away from the father, he ends up alongside what? De- and eating like them. We, we have a tendency, natural tendency, to go the wrong direction. But we have been given in Christ the opportunity to become more this way. And James is saying, look, your life as a believer is moving in this direction. Without God, without the work of Christ, we cannot... There is some great deep joy associated with the fact that your life, no matter what it is, how it is, where it's going, how it's going, the condition of you or your circumstances, that in Christ we are being completed nonetheless. In this lifetime, joy, according to James could and should be defined along the lines of a confidence that it is occurring. That our completion is underway, a certainty of the future, more and more now and more and more certain as we go. James is describing, and Paul too, throughout all of his letters, and we've seen it in, uh, really all throughout the New Testament, this description of joy that is the very opposite of what plagues and discourages our soul. Despair. Where I ask you, tell me about your experiences of joy, it might be slow in coming, there might be a few, but if I tell, ask you to tell me about the despair in your life, we'll be there a while. The depth of or the root of despair is the opposite of becoming and maturing and completing and and, and the fullness of Christ coming true within us. It is the losing of the self. That's why you despair in despairing situations. Whether you know it or not, you can feel the losing of yourself. A cascading loss excuse me I might need something for that which I don't normally I don't know what just happened literally something just jumped into my throat throat) someone's going as a person who quickly critiques themselves more than helps themselves to things thanks how you feeling these days, <clears throat> everybody's pointing to someone else. Everybody take a sip of it on the way up here. That'd be perfect. <clears throat> I'm pretty, yeah, I can still use that for sure. Oh, look, he's drinking it too. <clears throat> I don't know if this ever happened in 15 years where I suddenly couldn't talk. Did somebody just say age? Did literally someone just say age? to two to, uh, relatively old people say that? I can't quite see who I was yet. <clears throat> As someone who does beat themselves off, up on a daily basis, I can only conclude that God wants me to stop talking right now. That's how it goes for me, honestly. <clears throat> Let me keep going. I'll keep trying here. God's gonna sort it out. <clears throat> Despair, a cascading loss of meaning and purpose. And if you've been there, you know what that is and how deeply disturbing it is. When every effort to be something great or even just good, to do something great or even just good fails, it makes a desired future of fullness in some definition that's warped, although one that we buy into, less likely with every failure every failure spirals us down we start to feel like the the iron you know the piece of iron that's going to be hammered or is being hammered by the blacksmith and we know it's it's cracking us it's breaking us i can't stop it life is delivering the blows And despair is, I can't get out from under this, and I can't stop the actual end of this. I'm going to be broken into a million pieces. I'm going to lose myself. That's despair. This overwhelming feeling that you are not enough, that you will not survive, that you've missed your calling, that you're amounting to nothing, and you never will. That's despair. That's a joyless life. Joy, on the other hand, James says, is a deep sense that amidst and maybe even in spite of all of the things of life that are breaking you, you are flourishing in Christ. You're enjoying the advent of God's design. You're enjoying the coming of God into you and your life and your spirit and your very DNA, and it is moving toward the intended design for your life. That is joy. No matter how I feel, no matter what's going on, no matter how limited I may conclude that I am, joy is no. He is turning you into the very thing you were intended to be, that you are folding into what the Jews refer to as shalom. You know what shalom is? It's the the offer of peace, right? At its root, shalom is God putting all things back the way they should be. That is going to happen in this world and in you according to God's design. Joy is the deep, Certainty that you are included in God's renovation to put everything back the way it is supposed to be, including you. How great would that feel? Go back to the piece of iron being hammered by the blacksmith and broken into a million pieces. What needs to happen for that thing to not be broken into a million pieces when the blacksmith hammers it? It's gotta be in the fire glowing red hot. That's not joyful. It's not joyful being in the fire. It's not joyful being burned up. It's not joyful having the stuff that is not good burned out of your life. But it is a joyful thing if in the process you know that that fire, that test, that trial, and the hammer are leading you or at least creating the context for you to become what you are intended to become some beautiful, functional thing. You're not being broken into a million pieces. In Christ, according to God's plan, the joy is in the midst of the fire and the hammering of life. We know this is leading somewhere for God's glory and not only my good, but the good of the world. Can you imagine what it would be like to believe that and know that? You're enough. You have enough. And your future is what God says it will be. If I had to break it down into maybe two things that you need to think about in order to apprehend this joy, I would say you've got to believe and you've got to fortify the truth. James goes on. If any of you lacks wisdom, which really could be seen as a shorthand for maturity, completion, lacking nothing, wisdom. If you lack everything that you need to know and be. You, need, you lack the ability to put knowledge into play, wisdom. You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Those are our two options. To live in a life where you are blown and twisted and thrown and tossed by the sea or a life where you believe what? Generally speaking, that diagram. That you have the image of God and the capacity in Christ to become more Jesus-like, more Christ-like. We believe that God is up to something good. It cannot be thwarted no matter how bad it gets. You, the believer, are not becoming an animal. You are becoming Jesus-like. That is a fact, no matter how you feel. How great could it be to apprehend joy apart from anything that you feel about yourself? That there's something there. We start by believing in what Jesus did for us. He releases us from the sin that binds us to the ways and the ends of the world. We actually have no option other to pretend that we're not becoming an animal. We can pretend, but in the spiritual realm and in the end game, without Christ, we do not have the capacity to go in that other direction. Look at the world around us and you see this happening real time. By and large, our culture's given up on God. Doesn't exist. Jesus is just a guy. There's no belief. There's no faith there. And what is happening? We're turning into animals. And what option do we have? We have to get everybody to validate our animal-ness as a good thing. It's happening all over the place. Don't tell me I'm wrong. Don't tell me there's an objective truth. Tell me that I'm okay as I am turning into an animal. Without belief, there is nothing other than that option of becoming like an animal or living in denial that you are or that we are. And let's just tell everybody that we're all okay. On the other hand, we could believe, could put our faith in Jesus. We can be renovated and restored and given the capacity to become Jesus-like. So we have to start with belief. Listen to Paul. I'm gonna read this entire passage here from the end of Romans 7. Um, and into the beginning of Romans 8. This is Paul. I find this at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man am I? Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Animalness, thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself might be, or so then uh, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law. He's like, this is crazy, this tension of life. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'll drink to that. <laughs> because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, it can't make you Godlike, right? That's the insinuation here. It can't do that. We can't fake our way to this. It was weakened by the flesh. God did this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So he condemned sin in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled and fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So we we believe in two ways, and that's the first. We believe the work of God in Christ for me. That's the beginning. That's the beginning of a new trajectory, one of confidence in the maturity and the fullness and the joy of being made into what God intends for you to make. The work of God in Christ for me, and then what we've been talking about, and the work of God in me for him. There was a work of God in Christ that is for my fruition, my fullness, my completion, and then there is a work of God in me that is for him. We're talking about salvation, the belief in the, sal- the saving, rescuing work of Christ and the work of sanctification in our life, bringing about what I was, who I was intended to be. We believe in both of those things. And then we have to fortify it. Where, where I would have loved to have Adam come up and talk about those three circles, I would love to have my wife come up and talk about fortifying joy. She teaches on this all the time. She actually exhibits a lot of joy, so she should do it. We need to fortify the truth. Everything that I've been trying to convey to you, we need to fortify that in our life. James says later in chapter 1, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits for all that He created. Can you see the imagery there? Can you see what is being set up? James is saying, Look, you've been given something, a new birth in a new direction. You can have confidence and joy in that. We must believe in the truth of these promises of God, it is the key to the it, it's the key to joy. Believing in Christ and believing what he's doing in us. So let's go to church right now here. and Let's fortify what is true, what is true about you, the believer. Let's strengthen the truth that affirms and makes certain that no matter what condition you're in and how far you have to go, God has done a mighty work for you in Christ and is absolutely working everything for good in you and through you. This, is, this, this sentiment is all through the Bible. I mentioned Nehemiah earlier. There's a space in Nehemiah where they are um, understanding the law in a way that they never did before. They're understanding the word of God in a way that they hadn't before. They were reading the word of God to one another. It says this, then, then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. They were grappling with and understanding the promises of God on a level they hadn't before, and it created joy. In the book of Esther, the people of God are under oppression, under King Xerxes, and they're struggling to survive, in their demise is Uh, coming about and through an amazing series of circumstances and events, Esther and Mordecai are able to convince King Xerxes to provide a promise and a protection. It was a time of happiness and joy and gladness and honor in every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came. There was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebration and many people of the other nationalities became Jews as a result of promise. Not that King Xerxes had made, but that God had made, and it came about within that context. The promises and the truths of God, when they become known and gripped and apprehended, translate into joy. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had, and bought that field, right? Understanding the deeper truths of the kingdom lead to joy. These very promises that we're talking about, we see it early in the, in the life of Jesus, even before he was born. We see uh, John, his cousin, in the, in the womb of Elizabeth, leap for joy when in the presence of Jesus in the womb of Mary... The angels visit the shepherds and they promise joy as a result of the birth of Jesus. And Jesus, uh, wanting his disciples to experience the joy that he has from living in accordance with the Father. Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand the joy that comes from living in accordance to the commands and the truths and the promises of God. And he says, if you keep my commands... If you take these truths and these promises and you believe them and you apply them to life, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. And I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. When we take the promises of God and we believe them and to believe the promises of God is to enact them, is to live by them. When we believe what Jesus did, and we believe that by following his ways that he is bringing about something full within us, our joy becomes like the joy that Jesus had I'm living that same way. In Philippians chapter one, it says, in all my prayers for all of you, and this is Paul, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the very first day until now, being confident of this, That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This is what brought Paul joy. Is that the fullness and the completeness and the lacking of nothing is in play in the believer. The thing that we should say more than anything else to one another which Christians are not known for doing, it's usually the opposite. Maybe I should just say too often the opposite. What we should be saying to one another is, wow, look at what God is doing in you. One of the most powerful statements I've ever heard, I was sitting with two friends. One had fallen morally in sensational fashion. It was horrible. It was the end of ministry life, at least as he knew it at that time. And a friend said to him, first words, this is not who you are. And I think those words sustained him. Through the consequences of his sin and into the maturation of what was next. We need to look at each other and see what Paul sees, see what James says, believe what Jesus says about the believer. No matter how devastating the blow, no matter how big the mistake, no matter how little the belief in self, no matter how little you may think you have, in Christ you are complete, you are mature, you lack nothing, and you're moving in that direction even when you can't see it. Paul again in 2 Corinthians, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Feels like that, is it not? Life is hard, life is difficult. Our our decisions have consequences and the world affects us in negative ways. We're wasting away and physically we're all dying, right? No one ever likes to talk about that. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Our troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweigh them all. That is what we need to believe. We need to know. We need to take at heart. And the more we grip on to that and the more we know that, the more joy you're going to feel. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, that you are being finished, being made mature and complete, not lacking anything. One of my best friends was just diagnosed with cancer. I went over to their house, and we sat there and talked, and the gravity of the situation was apparent. You know what else we were doing? Laughing. You know why? Because they know who they are. They know who God is. They know what's going on. It's kind of the weirdest thing to be sitting in the midst of a context like that and laughing about something. That's because there is joy in their lives. There is a belief that is very deep in their life. There is a faith that cannot be rocked by anything. There is a knowledge that God is up to something even now in this. It's within his control. I'm enough. What I have is enough. And I know the future is what God wants it to be as a believer in Christ. Amen? Amen. That's how we need to live. Joy is this deep sense. Tammy, you coming back? Yeah. Joy is the deep sense that amidst and in spite of it all, you are flourishing enjoying the advent of God's design, that you are folding into shalom, into the way things, including you, ought to be. Let's go, church. Let's believe that.